Happy New Year. So Matt had a baby in 2023. That's amazing. And it's an adorable baby. If you haven't seen Eden, she's beautiful. I had a baby once, 13 years ago. My little baby boys, all grown up. Sorry, his birthday was this week. So <laughs> now we have two teenagers in our household and 2024 is a different stage of life for us. And we're excited about that. Just needed, I didn't have anything in my script to embarrass him with, so I had to just throw something in there. Um, <laughs> we're going to uh, talk about uh, Matthew chapter 7, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Before we do that, would you just join me in prayer? God, we, we thank you for um, this, this opportunity to be together, Lord, that uh, at the beginning of this year we can um, come together, um, unify our hearts with yours and with each other's, and just, um, just dream about what this year could be. Um, and we know that there will be obstacles. We know that there will be challenges, but Lord, we also know that you are good, and it is worth it. It is worth it to stay faithful to you, and so we pray that you'd give us the strength to do that. Um, Speak to us this morning. Uh, Send us out this week um, inspired to chase after you, God, and sustain us. We need you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before we get into our passage today, our passage deals with construction. It deals with sand. And, and this is similar to a message I actually preached last year, but I thought um, it needed some updates and some, some, some edits for 2024. And so uh, I wanted to show you, I did some research this week on some of the coolest sand castles ever built. Because I, every time I've ever gone to the beach as a child or as an adult and tried to build a sand castle, I've learned I'm not good at it. I'm really bad at it. Best I can do is like a mound. But these people are skilled. Here are some of the best sandcastles I could find on the interwebs. Uh, look at this. On the left, you have this in- insanely intricate, like, how is it supporting all of that? And on the right, you have Sesame Street and Elmo. By the way, our youth pastor, Becca, if you call her Elmo, I'm, I'm heard she appreciates it. Uh, <laughs> here's a couple more. We got some, some fairy tales put to, to life here in sand. You've got Rapunzel on the left, and you've got the old lady who lives in a shoe. I never understood that one, uh, but, but the sandcastle is pretty amazing, right? All right, here's two different ones. You've got the classic castle, just amazing, and then you've got a person who really likes Nissans, and maybe Teddy Roosevelt's driving. I'm not really sure who that is, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, I love the juxtaposition here. You've got like this classic castle and you have some dude who's like, let's do a Nissan convertible. Um, and then a couple more here. These next ones are if an architect goes to the beach. Look at that. Like, I don't even know how you imagine that, let alone build it out of sand. And here's one more, another cool one. He had to have a ruler, right? And some tools. That's, there's no way you could do that by hand. Okay, why am I talking about sandcastles? Well, today, Jesus, in our passage, talks about building our our house on a firm foundation or on a house made out of sand. Now, these are amazing. Like, I look at this and I think, that's incredible. And I also learned that to make these, these professional sandcastle builders, they use things like clay and other materials. They're not using just the basic sand and bucket like you and I are when we go to the beach, right? And, and to get them to, to last longer than a couple hours, they spray them with this adhesive. And, and there have been sandcastles that have lasted months after being built. And I think that's really cool. But 
no matter what, it's still made out of sand. It will not last. Eventually, that thing is going to come crashing down. It is inevitable because it is not made of the right materials to last. And that's so much about what this, this parable that Jesus kind of shares with us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're actually doing 2024 in reverse. We're going to start this week with the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Next week when we do our missional equipping gathering and we do our Discovery Bible study, we're going to start with the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But I thought this passage was a great way for us to start 2024 because of, of what it encourages us to what it encourages us to put our focus on. So read with me here uh, these words on the screen from Matthew chapter 7. The very end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is Matthew 5 through 7, if you're uh, familiar. And, uh, ooh, sorry, I forgot one more. I just like that one. I thought it was cool. Um, the, uh, this is what it says. Jesus is finishing up his sermon, and he says this. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, sorry, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus finishes the most famous and best sermon in the history of mankind with these words. And unlike some of Jesus' parables like we studied last year, there's no confusion about what he means. He's just delivered these words. And he's saying, the words I've said in this sermon, these are things that you are to practice. He says, whoever hears these words of mine, okay, that's step one here, and puts them into practice is like a wise person. We're expected to study together and apply the words of scripture to our life. I encourage you, um, maybe before we get to the, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount uh, next week, go back and read just Matthew 5 through 7 in its entirety so that you can kind of get a big picture. But to summarize the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said at one point when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments in all of scripture? What's the most important thing we're to focus on? And he says, you're to love God and you're to love people. That's the point of life. And this sermon is giving practical wisdom of how to live out this greatest commandment, how to live out this idea of loving God and loving your neighbor. Jesus is giving us of examples and how we can do this in our daily lives and find ways to love God and others, Right? And when we build our house on solid rock, what he's saying is that love is not just a concept or a feeling to be expressed. It's tangible. We're to practice this. We're to live it out. It's, it's demonstrated by acts of righteousness. To love God is not just to say, I love you, God. It's to obey what he's called us to do. Imagine you have a friend and maybe this isn't too much of a stretch for some of you. Maybe you have a real friendship like this, but your friend... Um, you know, you've got this person in your life, and every now and then you, you tell, they'll tell you, I love you, right? But that same friend rarely calls, um, and every time you, you text them, they leave it on red. That friend forgets your birthday. He cancels plans with you at the last minute all the time. He loves to tell stories about the good old days of your friendship, but when you get together, uh, but it bothers you because you haven't created any meaningful memories in a long time. 
the majority of your conversations involving him trying to get something out of you or telling all the same stories, but almost never asks you questions or wonders what's going on in your life, asks you, how are you? After a while, when that friend says the words, I love you, in your head, you may be thinking, and I did this joke last time, but I think it's still going to land. Anigo Matoya, you keep using that word, I do not think you know what it means. Right? This friend keeps telling you they love you, but they never demonstrate. They keep using the word, but they clearly don't know what it means. And that's what it's like when we tell God we love him, but we don't obey his words. That's what it's like when we tell God we love him and we ignore his words in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how Jesus concludes his sermon. He highlights the reality that to live out this kingdom ethic of loving God and loving others isn't simply about feeling or verbally expressing love. It's about living it out in our daily lives in real and tangible ways. Jesus does this in a way that's a very common teaching style. He uses uh, contrast as a way of communicating truth. You know, there's two paths, right? There's, there's a, a, a wide gate and a narrow gate. He, he likes to use those two contrasts. And, and these contrasts are usually an invitation and a warning. And he, he, he does this a lot. He uses this idea of sheep and goats in Matthew 25 to say, like, you want to be a sheep. You don't want to be a goat. <laughs> because there's blessing that comes from being a sheep. There's curses that come with being a goat. Now, there's nothing wrong with goats. There's nothing great about sheep. It's just a word picture he gives us. But this is what he does. And here he uses a contrast of a wise builder and a foolish builder. And... and he starts off with the wise builder building their house upon rock and the un, then talks about the unwise builder building their house upon sand. And I want to talk a little bit about what this is. What does it look like to have a sand castle foundation? What are some of the sand castle foundations that we have in this world? The things that promise to bring meaning and fulfillment in our lives if we make them the primary thing and yet they can't stand the test of time. They can't stand the, withstand the storms of life. There's, there's so many different things that can distract us. I want to just focus on a couple. You know, for, for pop culture, most of pop culture tells you that romantic love is the most important thing in life. Look at most Disney movies. It's always about a Prince Charming and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like the moral of the story is you just need to find that one perfect person. Well, what happens for, pe- for single people? What happens for people who, for, for whatever reasons, they choose to decide not to get married, which, by the way, is completely valid and, and sometimes the wisest decision we could make. In fact, we follow a Savior who chose not to get married, and the rest of the New Testament, most of it, is written by a person who, in order to follow Jesus more faithfully, decided not to get married, right? Okay, well, that's one piece of it, but what happens for those who lose a spouse? I start with this one because being married for for those who are married is a very important part of life. And we need to know how to follow Jesus within that concept. But what if it's not the main point of life? What if there's more to it than that? What if it's a way that we can follow Jesus, but it's not the most important thing? It cannot withstand every storm of life and it can't be the main purpose. If it's the center of our lives, what do we turn to when it crumbles, when romantic love crumbles? Right? You see what I'm getting at. We're not just talking about bad things. We're talking about good things that if we make them the foundation of our life, they can be sinking sand. Money. 
Money is probably one of the biggest ones. In fact, it's the reason most marriages end in divorce is money. That's the number one reason. How many people's lives were ruined when the market tumbled in 2008 or when everything shut down in 2020? Financially, they were just ruined. And if their lives were built upon earning and maintaining wealth, then their whole life is in shambles because that's, that was the main point for them. What's worse is what about the moral compromises sometimes we feel like we have to make in order to make money? How many decisions did we make that when we center our lives upon money, they actually take us away from the heart of Jesus? Security and comfort is another one. Many of us, this is the foundation of our life. We just want to be safe. We want a safe and comfortable existence. We want no surprises. We want no risks. And this totally makes sense. You know, many of us have struggled, struggled at times living paycheck to paycheck, or we were raised in a dangerous neighborhood, or we were raised by people who struggled mightily, and they worked so hard so that we wouldn't have to face the challenges they faced. And that's understandable. It is a basic human desire to want to feel like you're out of fight or flight mode, right? But what happens when we build gates and safety nets around us to keep the world out? Well, one of the main things that happens is we forget that sin is, is not a force that's at, at work out there. It's in here too. This is the danger of gated communities in the suburban life. We create what we think is a safe and secure environment from the outside, but we end up trapped up in a prison of our own making, surrounded by a white picket fence, because we can't keep sin and struggle out. No matter what some insurance company tells you, or no matter what you know, some salesman is trying to tell you, you can't buy lasting, eternal security. But it's a part of the human condition to want safety. It's understandable. But what, what if it becomes the main motivation in life? One last example, and this is one that I feel very close to my heart. I think it's a big thing in our community here in Fremont. Achievement and success. If that becomes a foundation of our life, you know, making a name for ourselves in business or uh, for parents, it's academic success for your kid. Young people, it's, it's I got to get good grades so I can get into a good school and get that great job, and then life will really begin for me. This is one of the key narratives that's going on in our world, that this is the point of life. The obvious flaws in this is the center of our life is it naturally you know, leads us all the way back to all those other safety blankets, money, security, comfort, right? It's all interrelated. But it also might not deliver on its promises, um, I read last year about a university that was offering unpaid professor positions. Let me say that again, unpaid professor positions. Do you know how much education you have to get to be a professor and how much money that costs? There are so many PhDs out there trying to live out their dream of being a professor that they drum up enough competition for one open spot that they don't even have to offer any money for it. They're just saying, hey, just get your foot in the door here. We'll pay you nothing, but at least you get your start. For PhDs, I'm finishing up my doctorate. No way am I doing that for free. <laughs> As if you haven't gone through enough competition to achieve in college and getting a master's and then earning a PhD, you tell me that's not enough to just be underpaid. You're unpaid. All right, this is a ridiculous and extreme scenario. But if achievement and success could be everything that they promise you to be, things like this wouldn't happen. These promises don't deliver. They cannot be the main meaning-making thing in your life. They cannot be your main purpose, our main purpose. 
Okay, so these are some sandcastle foundations. These are good things in life. That if they become the primary thing, if they become the foundation of our life, they will not withstand the storms of life. They won't. And it's tough because all the world tells us the opposite. Everything in our culture tells us the opposite, that these are the most important things in life. So what is the foundation that Jesus is talking about? He says, these words of mine. And then put them into practice. That's the foundation. Put these words of mine into practice. And when he says these words of mine, he's not talking generally about all of Scripture. Though we should take Scripture into consideration all the time, he's talking about the words that he's just spoken in Matthew 5 through 7, this sermon that he's preached. And so I'm going to just go through rapid fire, an overview of what the Sermon on the Mount is, and then we'll talk about what's at the heart of it. Why is it so important to Jesus? So first, he tells us what kind of posture we're supposed to have in the world. And I won't get into it because next week when we do DBS, you're going to pick this passage apart uh, in detail. But spoiler alert, it could be summarized with humility, humility, humility. This is the posture of someone whose heart is set on Jesus. And then Jesus says that we're called to be a light in this dark world. We're supposed to be a mirror that reflect God's love to the whole world. He says that, that he came to fulfill the law in ways that we have failed over and over again, but he completed. And because of that, we just don't act like the job is done. We follow in his footsteps and we pursue justice and righteousness. Then he kind of rapid fires through a bunch of kind of ethical things that people would be talking about. So here's a rapid fire. He says, hey, you've heard don't murder. Duh. Like that's pretty basic. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take that further. Get rid of the anger in your life. Don't hate anybody. Woof. I mean, just the drive here this morning was hard enough for me. That's how hard this is. Jesus cuts right to the core. Every single person, when they hear like, hey, don't get angry, we're all like, oh, that's me he's talking to. He says, don't commit adultery. Yeah, of course. You made vows that you wouldn't do that. That shouldn't be news to anybody. He's like, no, 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 go further. Get rid of lust in your heart. Don't desire somebody who's not your spouse. Transform your wants and your desires even. And he goes on to talk about, you know, in the, the past, they had this whole process of divorce. And he's like, what are we doing? Live up to your vows. In the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But he's basically saying equal justice, right? You know, don't, don't over punish somebody for a law they've broken. He's saying, no, nah, take it even further. Don't take revenge. Even more, learn to love your enemies. That's impossible. It feels impossible to love one's enemies. And Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to have your heart set on my kingdom. Then he talks about all the performative religion that people are doing. They're praying in the streets and they're fasting and they're like, oh, I'm so hungry for the Lord. You know, like they're just over the top performing their religion. He's like, you receive your reward in full. You were looking for people's applause. Well, you got it, but I won't honor that. He wants us to just pray because we want to be intimate with him. He wants us to fast because we really trust him, right? He says, don't hoard wealth. Invest in things that will last for eternity. Take care of people. Don't obsess about material things. I know it's, it's hard and you feel like you got to work, 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 and you got to hoard that wealth and you got to take care of all the basic needs. But, but do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm a God that wants to take care of you, to provide for you? He tells us not to judge others. And if that's hard for us, we have to remember like, hey, if, if I'm judged the way I judged others, I'm in trouble. 
He tells us to trust that God hears our prayers. He says that God's way is hard, but it's worth it. Don't stop pursuing it. He says faith is more than words, it's action. Live it out, right? So Jesus says, if you put these words of mine, if you take these concepts of mine and you put them into practice, your house will survive the storms that life has for all of us. Well, what's so important? What are some of the common threads that keep this together? Jesus is talking about being transformed. Transformation of our actions and our behaviors, but also of our hearts, our desires, and our motive. Being changed inside and outside and aligning ourselves with this kingdom. See, uh, one of my favorite guys, uh, New Testament scholars and um, uh, theologian Scott McKnight, he, he does a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he talks about this sermon only makes sense if we understand a very, very important concept. He said this is a messianic sermon, meaning this, Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's God in the flesh, the King of heaven come down to earth. It's what we just celebrated at Christmas, right? Throughout our whole Hebrew series. McKnight says, we can only understand this messianic sermon if we understand the importance that Jesus is Lord and what that means for the past, the present, and the future. So in the past, God created a good world, a good world where humans enjoyed this uninterrupted relationship with God face-to-face in his perfect presence. And in this world, we lived in harmony with God, with other people, with all of creation, and even with ourselves. The present truth is the whole thing got messed up when we decided that we wanted to be the ones who decided right from wrong. We wanted to be in charge. Even though we had this perfect king, we thought we could do a better job. And this is a grand story of humanity, but it's the story of each of us in our own lives if we're honest with ourselves, right? We see it every day. We choose selfishness and self-centeredness. And what happens is the whole world has fallen apart because of it. We see it in the brokenness of our own lives, but we see it in the most extreme ways on the news. Over the last few months, we see this awful terrorist attack in Israel. And everyone in the world should should condemn it and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But that's led to vengeance. That's led to to more fighting. And and the majority of Palestinians who have been killed, about 30,000 of them, are women and children. And we should go, oh, this isn't the way it's supposed to be either. We see people trying to create the world in their image. We see people trying to take control of the situation. And all it is leading to is suffering and sorrow and pain. And again, this is extreme, but it's an example of what's happened in this world when humans say, we're in charge. We've rejected the good king so that we can be in charge. And now it's all fallen apart. And it goes on and on like this over and over again. The good news is God does not abandon us. Sometimes I do wonder, like, why doesn't he give up on us? There is hope, and the hope is Jesus. Again, we talked about this all throughout our Hebrews series, but Jesus became human and took on all that we experienced, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He lived a life that we were supposed to live, that, that uninterrupted life in lockstep with God. And the scriptures tell us he did not sin. But he took on our sins and our pain and he went to the cross. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, defeating our greatest enemies, sin and death. One of the ways I love to talk about the gospel, which is what I've just kind of summarized for us, this gospel of Jesus. All the things that have been broken because of sin, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationships 
with ourselves. We're not right in, our, in, in and of ourselves, right? And, and this world, the creation. At the cross, Jesus began repairing every one of those broken relationships. He heals our relationship with God so that we can begin to be made new. And so that our relationships with each other can be healed, even though there's been so much harm and damage, right? Our relationship with ourselves, like, sometimes I wonder, why am I this way? Why does my brain work like this? Why do I feel this way? He's working to heal even my inner workings. And our creation, ultimately, it's going to be perfectly restored in a new heaven and new earth. But God is at work to restore even the creation. Okay, that's the, the past and the present. And in there is both the bad news and the good news, right? But this messianic sermon only makes sense if we understand the future, that Jesus is going to return. He's promised he's coming back. And all that is broken will be restored and made new. This new creation, there's no more sin, there's no more death, there's no more pain, and God will be so close to us, literally so close to us, that he'll be able to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There in his presence will be one big human family with people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Even Ukrainians standing hand in hand with Russians and Palestinians standing hand in hand with Israelis. That's, that's the reality of God's kingdom. All around this banquet table with Jesus in his rightful place as king. And all of us in our rightful place. When we understand the importance that Jesus is Lord in this story of past, present, and future, it helps us to understand the importance of Jesus' words in Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus giving, is giving us a glimpse of kingdom life, to behave as Jesus taught, to align our hearts and desires with his heart, is putting ourselves within the grain of God's good creation, putting it in the grain of God's coming kingdom. If you're not a woodworker, that may not make sense, but if you are, you know that when you want to sand a piece of wood to make it smooth, to make it pretty, you go with the grain of the wood, right? That's how you make it useful and pretty for whatever it is you're building. If, if you go against the grain of the wood, it's going to be rough, it's going to do the opposite of what you're wanting to do, and it's going to cause pain and splinters, and it's not going to look the way it's supposed to look, right? To live, to live and act and breathe as the sermon calls us to be is to put ourselves in harmony, to put ourselves in the grain of God's perfect eternal kingdom. Jesus is saying, do you really want to participate in my kingdom when I return? Then start participating in it now. It's one thing to believe and hope and wait for his coming kingdom. It's another to live as if the kingdom of God is in us here and now. Because that's exactly what Jesus tells us in Luke 17. The kingdom of God is within you. It is, it is hard. When you hear the words of the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much conviction because we know how hard it is. Jesus doesn't deny it. He acknowledged how hard it is. The grain of God's good creation and his coming kingdom are hard to find. The raw materials have been warped and weathered. It's not easy. There are millions of distractions, things that seek our attention, our fears, our desires. But Jesus is saying it's worth it. Think again about the outcomes. The strong foundation, the one that's built upon Jesus' words, the one that's built upon the grain of his beautiful creation. That foundation survives. The one built on sand, it crashes. And, and this actually is a warning. We talked about he does these contrasts. It's a warning. There's the warning, the, 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 
the, the promise of blessing, and then there's the warning, and the warning is one of judgment. One is accepted, the other rejected. Why? Because the one who built his, his life, the one who built her life on the strong foundation has already committed to the kingdom here and now. One way to understand this is to think about wedding vows, right? Many weddings you've been to, you hear this phrase, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That's familiar, right? What kind of relationship do you have if you say, well, I'll stay with you as long as you stay rich. I'll stay with you as long as life is easy and there's no you know, hardship along the way. I'll stay with you unless you get sick. I don't have time for that. That sounds insane, right? That's not marriage. That's not love. And it's that kind of relationship with God that Jesus is warning us about here. Many people want to call themselves Christians. And when they get to the end of this life, Jesus is going to be like, hey, I don't know you. Jesus offers us an invitation to this amazing wedding banquet, his coming kingdom. He's expecting the vows to kick in now once we accept the invitation, not later. We commit to living in this kingdom here and now, and when this life is over and we see him face to face, he'll say, I know you. We've been working together this whole time through our blessed rhythms, right? You've been blessing your neighbors. You've been serving your community. You've been loving your family and friends. You've, you've been living in step with me. I recognize you because we've been in this together from the get-go for years. And then I hope he'll say after that, come on in, the tacos are this way. It is a banquet after all. So why this message? Why this, this, this promise and warning at the beginning of 2024? Well, this year is going to be full of distractions. You know how I know? Because last year was full of distractions and the one before that and the one before that. Like, life is full of distractions. In fact, this November, we get a nice big fat distraction because it's an election year. And too many times we've seen this bring out the worst in us, right? And I want to just say, don't let it, please. Don't say you're a follower of Jesus and then through your, your words and actions demonstrate that your first allegiance is to a politician or to a political party. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. He doesn't fit. I promise. Don't hate those who vote differently for you. That is a direct violation of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't do it. I'm saying it to myself, too. I care about what happens in this world. I vote. I, I, I'm involved. But man, it is not the pinnacle of what's important in this life. There will be tons of distractions and challenges to overcome. Keep our eyes. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is Lord. We need patience and perseverance. But Jesus wants us to know at the close of his Sermon on the Mount that it's worth it. The only way to survive the storms of this life and keep our character intact, to keep our relationship with God thriving and intact, to keep our relationships with others healing and thriving. So before I close, I want to address one thing that you may be thinking. I have been accused of being an idealist once or twice or 70 times in my life for sharing a message like this. The argument goes like this. It doesn't work. People cut corners and they get rich. Jesus' way, these words don't seem to work. People who are committed to nonviolence get beat up, trampled on, oppressed. That doesn't work. 
Everyone in my school talks and acts and, and, and does these certain things in these certain ways, and I'm just kind of left out if I follow Jesus' words. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't work in that environment. Whatever the specific argument boils down to, it, it all comes down to this. It doesn't work in the real world. My response to that is, it's not supposed to. It's not supposed to. It works in God's eternal kingdom. It's ingrained with God's eternal kingdom. And guess what? The world isn't ingrained with God's eternal kingdom. It isn't going to work in the way we think it should work. The, the, the short-term blessing may not come. But by living out these words of Jesus, what we lose in the short term, and, and remember, the short term is really short in the grand scheme of eternity, right? What we lose in the short term comes back to us in blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Hopefully in this life, but certainly in God's eternal kingdom. And the other question I want to say in response to that, it doesn't work. Is this working? Like, is, is this working? Is, it, is this the way it should be with the world as it is? There, if you just, I, I'm obsessed with history. I read history. I listen to history podcasts. I have a really hard time finding a place in history where it's like, yeah, it's working really well when humans are in charge. It's a nightmare. The third chapter of the Bible is where it falls apart. Our track record isn't great. Every time a new war starts, the propaganda always goes, it's going to lead to peace, which is insane that we think violence is going to lead to peace. But when has there been peace? It's not working. But in God's eternal kingdom, where there is no greed or hatred or violence or treating people as objects that exist for our purposes or pleasures, these are the things that, that Jesus is seeking to correct. This is where that works, in God's eternal kingdom. So let's turn away from these things now and turn toward Jesus. Even though the world doesn't look like his kingdom, let's live like this to the best of our abilities. And even though it seems impossible, it's not impossible. You know why I know? Because Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to discern what's right and wrong and to empower us to do what's right, even when it's difficult, even when it goes against the grain of this world. And he's given us each other. This Sermon on the Mount is actually not meant for individuals. It's meant for a community. It's, a meant, it's meant for a community that says we commit to this together. We're so committed to his kingdom and living out these words together I've got you. You've got me. We can do this. You're not alone. This year, let's grow closer together. Let's listen to his spirit together. Let's dive into his word together and encourage one another to live as if the kingdom is in us because it is. Let's live in such a way that when we see God's kingdom at work around us because he's active, it's happening. It's bubbling up all over the place. God is at work. And when we see it, let's say, I'm in. That's what gets my attention. That's what I'm going to spend my time on. All these other distractions, even the good ones, they can take a back seat because God is doing something new. I want to invite the band up and uh, I want to read this passage one more time. Uh, and it's in a different translation. And, and I don't know why, like not every time does a different translation really kind of punch me in the gut, but this one did in a good way. Um, and, and, and I want to leave you with a couple of words before we... Um, sing and take communion together. 
This is from the message. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words. Words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Jesus is ultimately getting about transformation. Our behaviors and actions, sure, our hearts, our motives, our desire, he wants it all for himself. Because it's the only way we thrive. It's the only way we experience real life because it's the way that leads to him. So let's let 2024 be a year of transformation. Jesus doesn't expect perfection. If we could, if we could achieve it, he wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have died on the cross for us. He doesn't expect perfection, right? But let's chase after him. Even when we stumble and fall, let's get back up again and try again. Let's do the Bible studies and then work them into our lives. Let's let our actions and our hearts be more aligned with Jesus, our King, and his kingdom. And with that, it is a perfect time to turn our attention toward communion. When we sing this first song, um, please go to one of the three communion stations around the room and, and grab the bread and the cup. And this is something that we do once a month here, um, and we do it together as a gathered community, but we also do this around tables at our homes and in neighborhoods because God is not just at work in a building, right? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. Don't forget the words I spoke to you, the miracles I performed in front of you. Don't forget that I went to the cross for you. Don't forget. And so during this first song, you know, get up, go to one of the, the closest table to you, grab a bread and the cup, hold on to it. We're going to take it all together as a family uh, in the middle of our two songs. But it's a perfect time to do it, to start our 2024 off remembering Jesus. Remembering Jesus and saying, you know what? I want to pursue him. I want to build this year upon these words. Chase after him. I want to be transformed and be more like him. I want the life that comes from knowing him. And one of the most beautiful parts about communion is we do this together. This isn't just about you and Jesus. This is about us and Jesus. We're in this together. When we take the bread and the cup, we share this meal together so that we can encourage one another to keep going. Let's make this a year of transformation. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for, for your word. Jesus, uh, we first confess that our way has not, has not worked. Whether we think about our own individual lives and the way that we derail our lives, the way that we make a mess of them because of selfishness, self-centeredness, God, the, the way that we try to wrestle control of our lives and we end up unfulfilled or lonely or scared anyway. God, we confess that our way doesn't work. And though we also confess that your words are the ones that lead to life. Your path is the one that leads to life. Jesus, help us in 2024 to know you. Not just know about you, not just know some principles that are inspired by you, but to know you, God. 
Help us to know you. Help us to chase after you, to, to, to live out your words, to do the things that you did, to, to love the way that you loved. Help us to know you, Lord. As we take the bread and the cup in a little bit, God, we are reminded of your love for us. None of this we do in our own strength. We do this, God, because you first loved us. Give us the strength. Give us the strength to do what's impossible. Give us the strength to turn our back on the things that have held us back and to turn our faces towards you and the path that you have us on. We love you and and we want to, to, to spend this entire year pursuing you, knowing you more. We pray this in Jesus' name.